Turn in your Bible to find our second reading, the Gospel of John chapter 10. The most important thing that you need to know this morning, and any morning, is who Jesus Christ is. That's why during the season of Lent, we are allowing Jesus to speak to us about who he is, as he offers self-profiles to us by way of the I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John. So our text this morning comes from chapter 10. I'll begin reading it, verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, Jesus says, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of God. In John chapter 10, Jesus is continuing a conversation that begins in John chapter 9. Jesus is there in Jerusalem. He is surrounded by some of the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And he begins to talk with them here in chapter 10 about bad shepherds. He begins talking to them about bad shepherds, and, and his implication is very, very clear. He believes that they are bad shepherds. And behind everything that Jesus says here in John chapter 10 is Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet said that bad shepherds would come who would lead the people of Israel, but those bad shepherds that come to lead the people of Israel will be bad because they are self-serving. They don't lead with the sheep's interest foremost in their minds. So Jesus, here in John chapter 10, is talking about the bad shepherds, those self-serving shepherds. You may know or you may not know that the word pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd. 
Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here in Jerusalem, and he says that they are bad shepherds. And that's why here in John chapter 10, we're going to hear two of Jesus's I am statements. We have two windows here in this sanctuary that come to us out of John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd. But before Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says first, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. Even today, throughout the Judean hills, you'll see shepherds and sheep roaming those hills. Even today, in those Judean hills, you will see shepherds, and being a shepherd, even in this world, is a very difficult job. Because being a shepherd is a 24-7 task. Being a shepherd means you give your life completely to the sheep. Even today, and it certainly was that way in Jesus' day, they would give their life to the sheep, they would provide for the sheep and care for the sheep and protect the sheep all day long, and then when evening would come, the shepherd would lead the sheep back into the sheepfold or the sheep pen. And in Jesus' day, that sheepfold or that sheep pen was basically a, a circular walled structure made of rock. Just rocks that were high enough to prevent the sheep from jumping over the fence. And the only door or gate for that sheepfold or sheep pen would be a gap between the rocks. And every night, after a whole day of shepherding, every night the shepherd would lay down across that gap to make sure that sheep stay in the sheepfold, but to also protect the sheep from predators. So when Jesus here in the text says, I am the gate or I'm the door for the sheep, Jesus is talking about how He, who is the Good Shepherd, how He provides safety and security for those who are His, for His sheep. We all want to be secure. We all want to be safe. But sometimes we can, just like we do with much of life, we can take even something like safety and elevate it to the position of being an idol in our lives. Even something like safety can come and, and assume a far too great a position in our lives. In, in the last few years, I've run across a word that has been introduced to our vocabulary. It may or may not be new to you. It is the word safetyism. That's when you take the idea of safety and you push it further than it should ever be pushed. Safetyism. For me at least, and I think for our culture, that word was introduced to us in the last five years or so through a book that I highly recommend. I've recommended parts of it to you before. It's a book entitled, The Coddling of the American Mind. It's written by two 
scholars and they really function in the secular world and they are studying the society in which we live and they present several ideas or mindsets or attitudes that are getting more and more popular in our culture but that can be destructive to human flourishing. One of those destructive ideas, according to the authors of The Coddling of the American Mind, is the concept of safetyism. Let me let them define safetyism for us. And I think you can connect the dots and think about examples of safetyism in our culture. This is the way they define safetyism. Safetyism refers to a culture or belief system in which safety has become a sacred value, which means that people become unwilling to make trade-offs demanded by other practical and moral concerns. Safety trumps everything else no matter how unlikely or trivial the potential danger. And these same authors also talk about what it means to raise children in a culture that idolizes safetyism. These, these authors go on to say, when children are raised in a culture of safetyism, which teaches them to stay even emotionally safe, while protecting them from every imaginable danger, it may set up a feedback loop. Kids become more fragile and less resilient, which signals adults that they need more protection, which makes them even more fragile and less resilient. And before long, people are not just simply trying to be safe from that which physically harms them, but they even desire to be safe from even ideas that may harm them. That's safetyism. Let me give you one example. I received a telephone call this past week from someone who was so angered, threatened, offended by an email that they received. I, I, I tried to be kind and general and pastoral, but I did have to say, was there not an unsubscribe button on that email? I'm sure there's a delete button on your computer. We need to be careful about our rush to embrace safetyism if all of a sudden everything in the world becomes a threat and even even ideas become a threat. The world is not a safe place. Never has been, by the way. It's probably safer today for us and our generation than for our forebearers. But the Bible teaches from beginning then the world's not a safe place. None of us are going to get out of this world alive. The world is not a safe place. And we need to learn how to live wisely. We need to learn, we need to learn how to live prudently. I'm so grateful that, that the book of Proverbs is there in the Bible because we need to know how to live wisely. We need to learn how to live prudently. But we need to live fearlessly in this world. You know, in the Bible, 
the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is not courage. As a matter of fact, you can do courageous things with fear. Usually we're called on to do courageous things with fear. In the Bible, the opposite of fear is not courage. In the Bible, the opposite of fear is faith. And every day, almost every moment, we have to make the decision. Do we live fear-centered lives or faith-centered lives? You know, as people who know how to live fearlessly, we don't mind taking risk. We don't take ridiculous risk. But if you cease taking risk, you will cease to live. And much of what God has for you, you will never be able to receive if you're afraid of of risk-taking. We are those people in the world who know how to find safety, how to find security. It's not by working on our environment in such a way that there's no threats in our environment. We know better than that. We find our safety and our security in Jesus Christ. We find our safety and our security because of our confidence in the promises of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the the door of the sheepfold. I am the gate of the sheepfold. He is the one and really the only one that can provide true safety and security in this world and for the world to come. He will get us home before dark. So I suspect most of us here in this place, we know that it is in Him and Him alone that we find safety and security. And through finding that safety and that security, we can live fearlessly. One of my favorite theologians in the church, and she is referred to as a doctor of the church, is St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa of Avila was a 16th century Spanish Carmelite nun. And in many of her writings, she has given such great gifts to the church. Here's one thing she said. You've probably heard it before. You've heard it from me about three years ago. But it bears repeating. She writes to Christians, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. My friends, I hope that you you know this sense of security and safety today. I hope that you feel this sense of security and safety today. We go to God through Jesus Christ. He's the door of the gate. And we find security and safety. And according to what Jesus says here, as, as we go through the door, we find abundant life. I came that they may have life, that you may have life, and have it abundantly, have it to the full. 
I know that we're in a culture today that is, is obsessed with the gospel of self-actualization, with the gospel of self-fulfillment. And there's nothing wrong with self-actualization or self-fulfillment, but as Christians we know that the path to self-actualization, the path to self-fulfillment is through Jesus Christ, the door. And it's in Him that we find that abundant life. Every morning I, I, I get up and I say to myself a couple things. Early upon rising, I say to myself, I rise to fight another day. And then I remind myself of my personal mission statement. And I've told you several times, I hope you have a personal mission statement. hope you renew it every day of your life. My personal mission statement is I want to help others find fullness of life in Jesus Christ. So every day I remind myself of that each morning. I want to help others find fullness of life in Jesus Christ. And you don't find that fullness by chasing the fullness. You find that fullness by pursuing Him. You've got to put God first. You've got to put the offer of Jesus Christ first. President Quabain, one of the reasons I'm a passionate supporter of Hopple University is even though it's Methodist, it does a much better job than all of our other schools of saying they are a God family country, university. Notice what, who comes first. And it's such a gift to be a trustee of a university that is God, family, country. There's a lot of other gospels floating around out there where people are seeking self-actualization. They're seeking self-fulfillment. Nothing wrong with that, but we have to seek it through the gift of Christ in God first. God comes first. God, family, country. You know, I never thought I'd live to see the day where even we have to remind churches you need to be a God, family, country, church. But we're having to do that in this culture because of the mad rush for the gospel of self-actualization and self-fulfillment. In Jesus Christ, we find the route, the door to human flourishing. Only in Jesus Christ do we find the door, the route to human flourishing. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord, may we never, may we never live by bread alone but by every word that falls from your lips. God, we are here today because we're offering our lives back to you. Again, we invite Jesus to rule and reign in our lives. And by inviting Jesus to rule and reign in our lives, we put you first, and we find that gift of abundant life here in this world and the world to come. So, Lord, we invite you again to come and take possession of us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.